Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Uh, We're going to talk today about the subject of priorities. I've learned something this week I had not thought of before, but it is true. The word priority is a form of the word prior. Uh, Priority is that which comes before something else or before other things. And so that's going to be the focus of our discussion today is what is a Christian's number one priority? What does Jesus say our priority should be? We begin in verse 38 of Luke 10 where Luke writes, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospels, we know this family uh, quite well from what we know in, uh, in the book of John in particular. Uh, this is a, a lady named Martha. She had a sister named Mary, and they also had a brother named Lazarus. This is the same Lazarus uh, from the famous story that Jesus raised from the dead. And so these three are all siblings, and they lived in Bethany, as we'll see in a minute. We know Jesus developed a close relationship with these three siblings. They had a, a unique a friendship with the Lord Jesus. John 11 verse 5 says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister, that's Mary, and Lazarus. We see something of the love that Jesus had for them in John 11 when Lazarus has died and Jesus goes to the place where he was buried to raise Lazarus from the dead. And even as he's on his way, he, he knows what he's going to do. Uh, he's going to bring Lazarus back to life. And yet he's still moved to tears at the grief of Mary and Martha over the loss of their brother. John 11, verse 33 says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They had a a very special relationship with Jesus Christ. Our text in Luke 10 uh, takes place quite a bit before the raising of Lazarus, likely several months at least. And in fact, just reading Luke 10, it appears that this may be the occasion in which Jesus first meets this family. It may have been the first time Jesus made it to their town. Uh, We know, according to John 11, that they lived in the town of Bethany. John 11, verse 1 says, A certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Uh, Verse 8 tells us that Bethany was near Jerusalem, sorry, verse 18, uh, about two miles off. And I have a map up here just to show you this, so you can see it. Bethany, way down at the bottom of the map, uh, right next to Jerusalem. This is, you could walk there within probably 30 minutes. Uh, In fact, if if you know where the Mount of Olives is, it's just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. You can see the temple from there, or at least where the temple used to be. I was mosque there now. Uh, But you can see that whole area. So this is just a, a short distance from Jerusalem. Now, Jesus spent most of his time ministering uh, up in Galilee. So this, this region up here, he was born, of course, in Nazareth. Uh, I'm sorry, he, he was raised in Nazareth, and he did most of his ministry around Capernaum, Cana, those types of cities. Uh, we saw in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, though, that after uh, several years of ministering in Galilee, he's now headed to Jerusalem. Uh, Luke 9, 51 says he sets his face toward Jerusalem. And so he begins this journey uh, from Galilee down through Samaria to Jerusalem in the south. And this journey is going to take him several months. And we've seen over the last several weeks uh, some of Jesus' ministry efforts in Samaria, which you see is that uh, middle region between Galilee and Jerusalem. 
Uh, He had sent 70 men throughout those towns in Samaria to preach on their way to Jerusalem. Uh, So Jesus possibly had never been to Bethany before. He certainly had not had much of a ministry in that part of Judea, the lower region of Israel. Uh, This appears to be the first time Jesus had been to this town, and therefore the first time he would have met this family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It's also possible at this point that Luke is not writing chronologically, but he has arranged these uh, events thematically. You can see Bethany is so close to Jerusalem. Uh, if he's on his way to Jerusalem, why did it still take him, ten, I don't know, nine more chapters after this uh, to get to the city? And so it's possible that this may have occurred at a different time, and Luke has just uh, placed it here in this, this uh, part of his gospel for other reasons. And the reason for placing it here is perhaps to provide a piece of the, the puzzle that was missing from last Sunday. If you were here last Sunday, uh, we talked about uh, the two great commandments in the law. You remember Jesus said that the law is summarized by two commands. Number one, love God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And the story of the Good Samaritan that we looked at last Sunday is all about the second command. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? That's the, the story of the Good Samaritan. And so now this week, uh, Luke may have moved the story uh, here of, of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet in this part of the gospel to illustrate the first command that wasn't really addressed in the previous text, and that is loving God with your whole being. Either way, it's, it's very likely Jesus had never been to Bethany before and that this is his first time meeting this family. Uh, back to our text, verse 38 says, Now as they went on their way, on their way to Jerusalem, Jesus entered a village. And we know that town is Bethany. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Here's where we really get into the main point of this text, the different attitudes and the different priorities of these two sisters. Martha was distracted, verse 40 says, but with with many things, much serving, uh, which is understandable. Martha had welcomed Jesus into her home, and Jesus always traveled with his 12 disciples and at many times many other people. Uh, So there could have been quite a crowd that suddenly was uh, going to be staying in Martha's house. She had to provide food and lodging and and take care of them for however long they were in town. Uh, And you can imagine having company like that come over to your house all of a sudden. Uh, You would have some preparing to do as well. And so we can't be too harsh on Martha. Uh, She's doing what she feels like she needs to be done to prepare. No doubt she has to make food for for Jesus, for his 12 apostles. And again, many, many others often traveled with Jesus. We saw 70 earlier in this chapter. And so who knows? There might might have been quite a crowd uh, at Martha's doorstep. And so she had preparations to make. And I can see Martha busy doing things, uh, getting things ready, getting very frustrated with her sister Mary. She's just sitting there uh, listening to Jesus teach. Uh, No doubt a small crowd of people are are listening as Jesus is talking, and Mary's just sitting there listening. I imagine as time continues to pass, maybe Martha starts banging the pans a little louder, uh, trying to get her sister's attention that there's work to be done. But her sister is, is oblivious, just sitting there listening to what Jesus is saying. And Martha genuinely believed that what she was doing was far more important. Uh, She assumed that Jesus would be on her side and would reprimand uh, her sister Mary for not helping her. And so Jesus responds in verse 41, The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. 
Martha, Martha, you can hear the tenderness in Jesus' voice. This is a gentle rebuke. Uh, we, it's funny how we, we pick up on certain clues like that. I remember as a kid, if I ever heard my middle name, I knew I was in trouble. Uh, if, if my mom said David, that was fine. If she said David Daniel, oh no. And if she ever said David Daniel Green, then it was time to hide because I was in real trouble. Uh, but repeating the first name twice, David, David, that just means you're confused. Uh, you're misunderstanding something. You're not in trouble, uh, but it's a gentle rebuke from Jesus. She had been distracted. Uh, Martha had been distracted from the one thing that was most important. Again, we don't want to be too harsh on Martha. It was her, after all, who had welcomed Jesus into her home. And it's not that Martha was doing anything wrong. She was serving her house guests. What she was doing was a good thing. But sometimes the good can distract from what is best. Sometimes important things can distract from what is most important. The problem is we all understand that at times we have to be Martha. A scripture commands us to work, to provide financially for ourselves, for those under our care. We have responsibilities that make it impossible to just spend every minute of the day reading the Bible and uh, praying. We have other priorities in our lives. In fact, the only way that you and I this morning have the opportunity to be Marys and to uh, spend some time studying Scripture is because we had some Marthas here on Wednesday shoveling snow out for you to park. Uh, Marthas are necessary. There are times when we need to uh, take care of those responsibilities that we have. So how do we balance the need to be a Martha and serve and, and tend to our responsibilities with the need also to take time to sit and to take in Scripture, to spend time in prayer with God? I think one good place to start is Acts chapter 6. There was a problem uh, in the early church in Jerusalem in Acts 6. The church was growing, increasing in number, and there began to be a lot of administrative work that needed to be taken care of. In particular, uh, some widows that were dependent upon the church for their food. Uh, the church was responsible for taking care of these ladies, and, uh, and that there began to be so many of them that it really became a problem uh, that to, to try to meet the needs of these people at the same time as meeting other needs in the church. And so in Acts chapter 6, the church leadership meets to resolve this issue. Verse 2 says, The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, our text in Luke is often flattened out to simply say, be like Mary, don't be like Martha. That's normally how you hear that story. And it's not exactly wrong, but it's not exactly right either. The church needs Marys and Marthas. And the deacons in Acts chapter 6 were Marthas. They were appointed to tend to the administrative service in the church. The pastors were then freed up to be Marys, to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. The point I'm trying to stress here is that being a Martha isn't bad. In fact, that sometimes it's very necessary. The danger, however, is that we neglect our secret devotion, the time in our personal lives when we meet with God in prayer and in study of Scripture. We all have responsibilities that we can't shirk. We can't just uh, let go of those things. And so the question is, at what point does a responsibility become a distraction? I'm finding more and more that this is one of the struggles of being a Christian, trying to figure out how best to uh, prioritize and manage your time. And, and that's what time management really is all about, is prioritizing uh, certain things over other things, trying to figure out what are the most important priorities in my life. If you prioritize the wrong things, you spend too much time on them and sacrifice some other area of your life. 
And often the struggle isn't between spending time on something wasteful versus something good. Sometimes it's uh, trying to decide which good thing to spend time on. Uh, I face this just to give a personal example, uh, especially on Mondays and Tuesdays. Those are kind of my free days. Uh, some of you know I work a secular job on uh, last half of the week, so those days are pretty much set. I, I have to be at work at a certain time. I've got to be there all day, and so I don't have much flexibility. But Monday and Tuesday are my two days of the week where I have some flexibility to work on uh, whatever work I have at the church to get done. Uh, but Monday morning, <clears throat> every week, I have to wake up and decide how I'm going to spend that day. And there's many good and necessary things that I could do. I always have Bible studies and sermons to prepare for for the coming Sunday. I have projects uh, that I'm working on here at the church, fixing up things in our building. Uh, lately, I've been doing a lot of snow shoveling, of course, with the, the storms that keep happening. I always want to spend some time reading, uh, not only scripture, but good Christian books for my own growth. I also want to spend time with my wife. I don't want to be a pastor that uh, neglects my marriage and, and neglects the most important relationship that I have. And then I also have the option, if money is tight, to work overtime at my, my secular job. Uh, so those are all good things that I could choose to do. None of those are wasteful. Uh, all of those could be considered necessary ways of spending my time. So how do you decide? How do you choose which good thing to do? And quite frankly, I'm not sure I have a great answer to that. Uh, I'm sure if I asked you about your schedule, you could give me a similar story. That you have this responsibility and this responsibility and this one. And it's hard to know, am I spending too much time on the wrong thing? You have to spend time with your family, but you also need to work and provide for yourself. You also have to spend time resting. You don't want to work yourself to death. Uh, so, you know, exercise is important to stay healthy. All of these are competing options of how to spend our time. And often it's a choice between two good things. Which one is more important? Which one is more necessary to be done right now? What our text in Luke teaches us is to prioritize our relationship with God. Whatever you do, don't set aside the time in Scripture. Don't, don't set aside your time in personal prayer in order to accomplish other priorities. Whatever you do, don't set aside church because you need that time to do something else. And we can all justify it. Uh, Martha felt totally justified in what she was doing. And, and from our perspective, from my perspective, it even kind of makes sense. She had people to take care of. It wasn't like she was just wanting to do something wasteful. She came complaining to Jesus, fully expecting that he would agree with her. But although she was doing a good thing, she was neglecting the most important thing. She was distracted from the best place she could have been, which was sitting and listening to Jesus. Psalm 27 verse 4 says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. We dare not neglect our relationship with God to tend to other responsibilities because there is no higher priority. As the Westminster Confession puts it, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. <clears throat> now we know that Martha became a believer in Christ. Again, I don't want to be just sitting here bashing Martha all day. John 11 verse 27, she says to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Martha was a follower of Christ. She was a friend to Jesus. She understood and believed that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, and her instinct was to serve Christ. But Mary's instinct pleased Jesus even more because Mary just sat and listened as he taught. Later in John 12, this is a short period of time before Jesus' death, John 12 verse 1 says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, 
Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. So this is after uh, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, uh, potentially months or even a couple of years after our text in Luke. And Martha is there again, serving. Uh, and this is also, by the way, just, just to note, this isn't even her house. If you read the parallel accounts, this is the house of Simon the leper in Bethany. And Martha was still there serving. And while Martha was serving, her sister Mary was preparing to perform one of the greatest acts of worship recorded in the Bible. John 12, verse 3 says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So again, this is a separate occasion. Martha's busy serving and Mary is worshiping. Mary is taking likely her, her most valuable possession, this very expensive ointment, and she's anointing Jesus' feet with it. Once she broke the box open and poured that ointment on Jesus' feet, the monetary value was gone. Uh, it was used at that point. And we know that Judas Iscariot complained about this. He considered this act of worship to be a waste of money. He says in verse 4, Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. 300 denarii was the value that Judas said this ointment was worth. If you were with us last week, you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, where the man gave the innkeeper two denarii to take care of him for a couple of weeks. So if two denarii had enough value to give to an innkeeper to provide food and lodging for someone for a few weeks, how much is 300 denarii? This is a very costly ointment. In today's money, this is tens of thousands of dollars, a year's salary for an average worker. And Mary poured it all out on Jesus' feet. Now, Judas' objection may seem reasonable to you. Of course, we know he didn't just care about the poor. He wanted to steal the money. But that issue aside, we may have made the same argument. This ointment is worth tens of thousands of dollars in that jar. Let's sell it and then give that money to the poor or use it in some other way to further Jesus' ministry. Pouring it on his feet seems to be a waste. But listen to Jesus' response to this objection. In Mark 14, Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. Mary seems to have understood the importance and preciousness of these moments with Jesus. While Martha's busy serving, she's sitting and listening to Jesus teach. While Martha's serving, she's pouring out this ointment on Jesus' feet in worship. Verse 8, Jesus continues, She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And here we are today talking about this thing that Mary did. Her heart of love and worship of Jesus is what made her stand out from the others. Martha wasn't a bad person. She was a genuine follower and believer in Jesus, and she wanted to serve him. But Mary had a heart of worship. I noticed something else as I was looking at these mentions of Mary in these various stories, uh, something you may have picked up on, and that is Mary is always positioned at the feet of Jesus. Uh, start in verse uh, 10, uh, 39 of Luke 10. It says, She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to him teach. Again, this is likely the first time that they had, meet, they had met uh, Jesus. Mary is sitting there at his feet listening to him teach. Now fast forward to John 11, where Lazarus has died, 
And Jesus arrives at their house. This is right as he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. John 11 verse 20 says, Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Martha runs out to Jesus and talks to him. Verse 32, Mary goes out to meet Jesus, says when Mary came to Jesus, uh, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now they're saying the same thing, but Mary is at the feet of Christ. She immediately falls at Jesus' feet. Verse uh, 3 of John 12, the other account with these sisters, it says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Mary is always positioned at the feet of Jesus. Normally I don't I uh, try not to draw conclusions from a random thing like that, but if it's repeated three times every time Mary's there, I think there's some significance to it. Why is she always at Jesus' feet? It seems to me to be a sign of her humility. She no doubt understood who Jesus was, just as her sister Martha did. She understood that this was the Son of God, this was the Messiah. But it had a different effect on her. And the fact that Jesus was the Son of God led to her choosing to sit and listen to every word he spoke rather than tend to other matters. The fact that Jesus was the Son of God led to her taking that expensive ointment and pouring it on his feet, while others said it was a waste. What was a waste to other people, to her, was a reasonable response to who she knew this man to be. And the fact that Mary is always sitting at the feet of Jesus shows her understanding of who, who he was, uh, I'm sorry, who she was in the presence of, was felt perhaps more deeply in her than most people. And so here's the question for each of us to answer. How does the knowledge we have of who Jesus is affect our priorities? I think one of the ways that we can monitor our spiritual maturity is to see the shift in our priorities. Uh, before Christ, we have certain priorities. Most of us, it's money. <laughs> That's always a big one, especially in America. Uh, some of us might be family or other good things. We have certain priorities that are considered very important to us. But as you begin following Jesus, those priorities should shift. You should begin to see that the things that you're living for now are not the same as you were before. And this goes far beyond just going to church once a week. Ephesians 5, Paul said, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Being a follower of Jesus should have an effect in the way that you live. Uh, some of you know, that, uh, that I was a drug baby, which means I was drugged to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. That's an old joke in Christian culture, sorry. Uh, my parents took me to church uh, three times a week for my entire life. And unless I was sick or there was some just uh, extreme circumstance, uh, we were in church. We were always in church. Now, as a kid, I loved baseball. That was uh, my favorite sport. It was what I lived for. And uh, we normally had games a couple of days a week, and some years we had games on Wednesday nights, uh, which was a problem because we also had church on Wednesday nights. Uh, but in, in, our, in our household, that wasn't much of a decision. Uh, church was the priority. My dad often reminded us kids that our family was not a democracy. It was a benevolent dictatorship, as he said it. Uh, we did not have a vote in whether or not we went to church. We, if it was a time to go to church, we were at church. So if we had a baseball game on Wednesday nights, I could go to the game, but I had to leave uh, in time to make it to church. Now, I didn't like that policy very much, especially when I was you know, 11, 12 years old. I uh, did not appreciate that decision. But it did reinforce one thing in my mind. Uh, church was a priority. 
that was something in our household that was non-negotiable. We went to church. If the doors were open, we were there. What does your life reveal your priorities to be? If somebody were to just examine the way that you live your life, what would they say are your top priorities? What are the things that nothing else gets in the way of? How does the way that you spend time demonstrate what is most important to you? James wrote in chapter 4 of his letter, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Our life is fleeting. We only have a few years on this earth before we stand before God. And Ephesians 2 says, By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you've been saved by placing your faith in Christ, then he has good works prepared for you to do. And you've got this little vapor of life to do it in. You have this fleeting life, and that reality should affect the way that you live this week. Because if you waste too much time, you'll waste your life. Romans 14, 12, Paul says that each one of us will give an account of himself to God. We will answer to God for how each of us used our time on earth. So don't be distracted. Don't miss the best things because you're focused on other things, even good things. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 12. We're going to be studying this in a few weeks, so I don't want to uh, give you the whole thing, but I'll give you just a little snippet of it because it fits here well. Uh, This is a person, uh, he paints a picture here of what it looks like to be distracted from the most important things by other good priorities and in the end waste your life. Luke 12 verse 16, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So this is a farmer. He has a very good crop. He says in verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, so far, this sounds like good financial wisdom, right? The farmer had a good crop. He decides to build larger barns so he can store it all and retire. This is the American dream. He's got his money saved up for a few years. He can relax now, enjoy some time off. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. If you live your life with the goal of getting ahead financially so you can retire and relax, What happens when you die? You spend all that time working to save up money, and now it goes to somebody else. So the warning here is don't work. It's not don't, I'm sorry, the warning is not don't work and don't save. The Bible is clear that we have a responsibility to work. Uh, Read the book of Proverbs over and over. It talks about uh, being a a diligent worker and saving and preparing for the future. All of that's good. But Uh, The last verse there says, don't just lay up treasure for yourself and not be rich towards God. Don't make that what your life is all about. So perhaps one way to rightly orient your priorities in day-to-day living is to think about your death. What if you died today? What if you died next month? What if you died next year? What regrets would you have? Don't let distractions keep you from the most important priorities in your life. Now, just practically, How can we know what things are best? Jesus isn't here on earth. I can't sit at his feet like Mary did and listen to him teach. Uh, You and I don't have those opportunities. And so what what are the good things? What's the good portion that we need to be choosing? And what are the distractions uh, in in each one of our lives? And how can we know the difference? 
Uh, let me just show you this really quick. Can you all tell that I really like this? I showed this last hour. Um, this is a, it's sort of like the food pyramid, uh, if you remember that, where you have, uh, you know, you have all the healthy foods you're supposed to get a lot of, and then all the really good stuff that you're supposed to eat hardly any of. Uh, this is that in terms of your time. It's called the wisdom pyramid. Uh, now this, again, this isn't necessarily infallible, okay? If you disagree with something a little bit, that's fine. Uh, but this is, I think, good wisdom for how Christians should prioritize their discretionary time. Uh, you notice work is not on this pyramid. We all have to work. Most of us don't have a whole lot of control over that. So that's, this is talking about time outside of that. Uh, the time where you, you, you make decisions about uh, what free time you have there. Starting at the bottom of the pyramid, you have the Bible, which is God's direct speech to us and our only infallible source. And so if there's anything equivalent uh, to sitting at Jesus' feet like Mary did and listening to him teach, it would be for us reading Scripture. And so each day, this should be a priority in our lives, to have an open Bible, to read what it says. Next on the pyramid is church. Uh, And the sentence there says, Spending time as the gathered church makes us wise by orienting our lives around God. Uh, I would add here somewhere also prayer. Uh, Very easy to get distracted from what is most important when you neglect those things. Uh, Next on the the pyramid is nature and books. And I confess this morning, I was convicted uh, by the nature one because I spend a lot of time in books and I don't spend very much time in nature anymore. Uh, Not because I don't like it. I love being outdoors. uh, But it's just one of those things that's very easy to neglect because you think, I don't have time for that. I have other pressing matters. And so you kind of kick that to the curb. Uh, Notice the book section is specifically talking about Christian books, which says, uh, makes us wise by helping us think more deeply, broadly, and carefully about God's Word. And that's what a good Christian book will do. It'll point you to Scripture and basically be a tool uh, to help you know more, more accurately what Scripture teaches. By the way, there's some books on the back table. I've mentioned those in the last few weeks. If you want one, take one. They are free. And so I encourage you to grab those. Lastly on the pyramid is the, the smallest sections, beauty and internet and social media. You know, the things that we spend way too much time on. Uh, included in beauty, he has art, culture, creativity, wonder, and rest which makes us wise by engaging our hearts, slowing us down, and inspiring our worship of God. Internet and social media, says, can sometimes be, make us wise, but when dominant in our diet, often makes us fools. These should be approached intentionally and used sparingly. Now, I have to say, the internet is such a broad thing, uh, it's hard to really, it kind of depends on what you're doing on the internet. For instance, I found this on Twitter. Okay, so <laughs> obviously there's some good stuff on the internet. Uh, but most of us, if we're honest, we have this pyramid flipped upside down, right? We like to spend as much of our free time as possible on the things we really ought to be spending least time on. And how much of our free time is devoted to the most important things? So I think these are good principles for time management. And if you start to prioritize time in Scripture, time in church, time in prayer in particular, uh, that seems to me to be the good portion, the one thing that is most needful to help you remember who God is and the effects that that should have on the rest of your life. And maybe spending the the time at the feet of Jesus for a while might make you better at your service when you get to that part of your day. It might make you a better spouse and parent and worker if if you spend time at the feet of Christ. Having a heart of worship that puts Jesus at the center of your life, that recognizes his preeminence over everything else, helps you live your life according to God's will. As we close this morning, think through those things in your life that may be taking up too much of your time. Uh, so often when life gets busy, the first things that go, that go, the first things that we neglect is our time with the Lord. We can often have a bit of that Martha syndrome. And so the lesson today is 
Spend time on those most important priorities. Don't be distracted by other things, even good things that keep you from the best things. As they went their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.